0: Somewhere in this equation is the fear that our failure is tied to our self-worth. Remember that we are not what we do. Problems you encounter in your art career do not detract from your worth, either as an artist or a person, and they don't mean you're not supposed to be an artist. Welcome to the Passionate Painter Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Italia Carlson. Whether your art is a full-time career or your side gig. If you are passionate about creating art, this podcast is for you. Don't worry about taking notes. I'll do that for you. And you can find them at passionatepainterpodcast.com. Welcome back. When I began this podcast, I promised to share with you my journey in transitioning to a full-time art career. Many of you know that right now I'm in the middle of that journey painting three or four days a week, and doing a side gig in digital marketing, web design, and copywriting a few days a week to pay the bills. Even though I'm not completely transitioned yet to full-time art, I can feel that I'm moving in the right direction, and I'm content with the journey. That said, I recently hit significant snags in two important areas of my art world. So in this episode, I'm going to share with you the recent disasters, as well as what I learned from them in hopes of helping you be better prepared for adversity as you begin to create more art and possibly start your own art business. But first, it's time for a shout-out. This episode's shout-out goes to Sarah Melikar, who sent in a wonderful review. Sarah says, I just wanted to drop you a line and tell you how much I've been enjoying your podcast. I've returned to art in an enthusiastic way and have listened to many, many hours of podcasts from a variety of creators. I have to say that to date, I've enjoyed yours the most. There are two standouts with your presentations that have made all the difference for me. One is technical, and the other quality, which I feel is personal to you as an interviewer. First, your consistency with audio is great. The volume and quality evenly transitions from you to your subject. It is pleasant to the ear for me. The second is that you are very considerate and careful not to interrupt or talk over your subjects. I've been amazed at how often other podcasters do this by interjecting personal stories and perspectives into their interview. You seem to let the subjects share their story at their leisure, and they tend to unfold beautifully. Thank you so much for your professionalism, and great content for me as I venture down my creative journey. Sarah, your message has made my day. Thank you so very much for listening. The show is for you, my listeners, and I'm very happy to know that you enjoy it. It's great to have you with us. And listeners, don't forget, if you'd like a shout-out on the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others find the show, too. And if you're not sure how to find the link to leave a review, you can find the link in the show notes. The first major disappointment was actually the loss of three podcast recordings due to my learning curve with a new recording platform. One was an interview with marketing genius Marcus Sheridan about his new book, The Visual Sale, and the other two were interviews with international art mentor and woven sculpture artist Matt Tommy who also happens to host the Thriving Christian Artist podcast. Each of those two interviews was focused on one of his new books. Losing these files was not only a crushing disappointment, it was excruciatingly embarrassing. I had to tell both my guests the interviews they just gave their time creating with me did not exist. Thankfully, both Marcus and Matt were gracious, and Marcus and I were able to reschedule for mid-October. Matt, however, won't be available for a few months, so I'm going to take a moment to let you know about the two new books he wrote, in case you're interested in checking them out now. They're both terrific, and I highly recommend them. The first book is How to Price Your Art. Its pages are packed with actionable information, including an easy pricing formula for pricing your art, five keys for creating a pricing strategy, and much, much more. This book provides a much-needed blueprint for artists, by an artist, who knows the particular struggles that we artists tend to face. The second book is Prophetic Art, a Practical Guide to Creating with the Holy Spirit. This one gave me answers I was looking for about the idea of creating spirit-led art. We're not talking about religious art here. We're talking about inviting God into your creative space. As an intuitive empath who's also Christian, this book was just what I needed. You can find a link to both of Matt's books and Marcus's new book in the show notes. Okay, so my second recent professional disaster was when a conceptual photography piece I entered in a local competition was hung incorrectly, greatly decreasing the impact of the work. To put it in a nutshell, part of the work was left in the closet the part that gave this piece its aha moment. The piece was, I thought, fairly good without it, but definitely lacked the impact it could have had that might have earned me a nod from the judges. Now, of course, I wasn't sure it would win an award, but it was a meaningful piece, and I personally witnessed it bring two people to tears who saw it before it went into the show. So I was hopeful it might hit the judges' radar. Now, I did check on this piece after it was hung, as the layout was a bit complicated, but I didn't catch the error either in my short swing through the gallery. I hadn't truly slowed down enough to really look. As I left, the gallery manager told me that it had made the employees tear up as well, so I thought all was as it should be, and that I was presenting my artwork in its strongest form. I discovered that the key element in the piece was missing when one of the people who had first seen it before it left my studio brought friends to view it in the gallery two days before the show came down. I went over to the gallery to find out what was going on and found the crucial element in the closet. To say I was disappointed is an understatement. These experiences happened in rapid succession, and they really threw me into a tailspin for a few days. But I realized that my screw-ups were important to share with you, because most of you have big dreams for your art. And the more you dare, the more you risk. Rather than coming away from that statement with some gloomy warning that discourages you, please hear me cheering you on. As an empath, I've learned that living in sync with my natural feeling perspective creates flow in just about every area of my life. My artist listeners can probably relate, as I suspect that an empathic nature is common to most artists. It took me years to stop fighting against my empathic nature and step into my own light. These days, ironically, everyone seems to be buzzing about being more empathetic, like it's something new. Unfortunately, I have also discovered that my heightened sensitivity can be a stumbling block when it comes to handling disappointment and failure. These things can feel overwhelmingly intense. And looking back over these two recent difficulties, I've come up with five tips that I use to bounce back from failures, and I'm going to share them with you in hopes that they can minimize or help you through any failures you encounter on your road to making more art. Please know that there are no affiliate links in these tips, nor in the downloadable list of suggested resources in the show notes. I'm simply sharing with you what works for me. Okay, number one, don't toss the good out with the bad. When things go sideways, it can be easy to reflectively say, forget the whole thing, this is a sign that I'm not meant to do, fill in the blank. If you think about all the things that a person needs to learn to truly master anything, it's almost inconceivable that any of us haven't had more failures along our learning curves. The more ambitious an undertaking is, the more room there is for something to go off the rails. So if you're screwing up big, I say celebrate. Okay, this is tough to do at the time, but I really try to emphasize to my kids and my students that mistakes made while learning a new skill should be celebrated. You know, so long as no one got hurt. I like to say, woohoo, a mistake. Now, when you take this approach, students will probably laugh and your kids will probably roll their eyes, but I'm convinced it's important to fight the perception that we're supposed to learn without screwing up. Try thinking of mistakes more like the dashboard lights that come on when something is wrong with your car. In this case, the loss of my interviews did not mean I should hang up my microphone. It meant that I needed to fix something technical in my recording process. It required me to be curious. Enter tip number two be objective. Instead of wallowing in self pity or beating yourself up when you encounter a disappointment or a professional disaster, Look instead as objectively as possible at the facts. Think of the character Spock from the Star Trek series. His catchphrase is fascinating. Taking a step back and looking at difficult situations from a standpoint of curiosity is a game changer. It truly helps to put mental distance between you and the mistake. It enables you to analyze what went wrong, and pivot for a better approach to the problem, one that may help you avoid the problem altogether the next time around. I heard a helpful story from a successful marketing director who always holds postmortems after big projects, meaning an open discussion of what went right as well as what went wrong during the project's timeline. After one particular product launch, which went completely off the rails, the executive called his first postmortem. His team was understandably nervous about what would transpire in the meeting. Thousands of dollars in revenue had been lost. Would someone be fired? As the meeting began, the leader passed a box around the table. In it were a number of items, each comprising some part of the product launch. As the box went from person to person, he asked each person to pull out an object and talk about it. What worked about this part of the project? Or didn't work? During the launch. As a result, the conversation became about, for example, delays in the packaging process. One employee pulled out the box the product was packaged in and noted that the client loved the package design. The colors and fonts were a big hit, conveying the exact branding that was intended. The printing of the package, however, had been problematic, as the printer was overseas and unable to print the entire order quickly enough to keep the launch on schedule. The next employee pulled a different element of the project out of the box and talked about that, the good and the bad. And so it went around the table. The team visibly relaxed as they addressed the facts of the launch, rather than looking to deflect blame or criticism. The difference in approach here is critical. After I made a conscious decision to stop beating myself up after my two recent disasters, I addressed the problems instead of abusing my self-worth. It's a very different outlook. Turning to the example of the gallery show, I could have blamed the mistake on the people who hung the show. I had offered to hang the piece myself, but the gallery employee insisted that they would get it right. Since the piece was a bit complicated to hang, I gave them a diagram to help them out. Now, I happened to update that diagram the next day, And hand-delivered the new version to the gallery, telling them that it replaced the old one. The problem was, I gave it to a different person, and they didn't communicate with each other. As a result, the wrong diagram was followed. And that's the facts of what happened with the error. Now, I can see that I should have called to double-check that everybody who was handling that piece would know that there was a new diagram. Now, we can't always be prepared for mistakes, Sometimes we don't know what we don't know, so we can't see problems coming. But in this case, I caught two behaviors I realized I need to watch out for. One is that I didn't want to inconvenience anyone. I didn't want to stop my interviews to check the podcasting equipment was recording properly once it was rolling, and I didn't want to bug the people hanging the gallery show. I myself was unable to join them in hanging the piece because I was working that day and I didn't want to seem like a pain in the butt because they had plenty of other pieces to hang. So remember how important it is to get comfortable taking up space. Brene Brown calls it standing in your own sacred space. And it's about claiming your right to speak from your center about what you need. To quote Brene, don't shrink, don't puff up, just stand in your sacred space. This is really key advice you take the time to create your art. It's okay to take the time to follow up on the hanging instructions or anything else that you need to communicate about making sure that that art gets seen in the light it's intended. The second behavior that I need to watch out for is that I didn't slow down enough the day I visited the gallery to really look at the piece. I've heard of other artists doing this, kind of looking at your art with one eye open once it's up on the gallery wall, because on some level, we're afraid of seeing something wrong with it. Sometimes we worked so hard on a piece and made so many corrections that we can barely stand to look at it anymore. We just want to get it out of the studio. Sort of like not logging into your online bank account when you know the balance is low, but you won't be getting a paycheck for another week. Or maybe that's just me. But anyway, the higher the stakes, the more common it is for some people to avoid really opening their eyes and being open to the possibility of finding mistakes. It's not logical, and it certainly doesn't help. It's really important to take the time to look. Somewhere in this equation is the fear that our failure is tied to our self-worth. Remember that we are not what we do. Problems you encounter in your art career do not detract from your worth. Either as an artist or a person. And they don't mean you're not supposed to be an artist. Tip number three pause and reassess. If you're starting to experience disasters, I'm using air quotes, on the road to becoming a professional artist, pause and reassess what you're focusing on. A mistake or problem is not necessarily a message that you're on the wrong path it may be a message that you need to pause and reprioritize what you're doing to reach your objectives. Reassess what activities will move the needle for your art career. It's also okay, incidentally, to reassess your priorities, even if you have to admit to yourself that you've changed your mind about the kind of art you want to create. Please notice the difference in these two statements. A failure or snag doesn't mean you aren't meant to be an artist. But it's okay to reassess what kind of artist you want to be and what type of art is right for you. In the first statement, believing a mistake means that you're not meant to be an artist gives your power away. The second one claims it. You are deciding what is right for you. You are stepping into and owning your dreams and your goals. I once heard a really wise speaker say you don't want to wait till you're halfway up the mountain to realize that you should have been climbing the mountain beside it. Part of reassessing also involves making sure you're not trying to do everything at once. Focus on the most important thing to accomplish each day and have a couple of additional items listed that are the next most important things if you have time to get to them. You can keep that long to-do list. I know I have one but I recommend an action item version of your to-do list for each day with the number one needle mover at the top and, at most, two bonus to-dos beneath it. Tip number four. Get back on that horse. Now that you've taken the time to pause, get up and keep moving forward. When I was 19, I was in a car that crashed, flipping over. While I was not driving at the time of the accident, I was a new driver, and the trauma of the experience left me afraid to get behind the wheel again myself. At the time, I was a teaching assistant in a science program off the coast of Maine. I'm sure being a new driver, being young, and being far from home didn't help my confidence level. But after being medically cleared a few days after the crash, my advisors put me behind the wheel of a vehicle and had me drive them on the same back roads that my vehicle had flipped over on just a few days before. Today, I can see why that was important and necessary. Instead of giving up on entering competitions at that gallery, I immediately entered another art show. Instead of giving up on doing interviews in my podcast, I addressed the technical issue. Then I set aside time to find and invite new guests to the show. Setting up new interviews. Nothing motivates like a deadline, right? This is probably true for you as well. Now, neither of the recent professional storms I experienced were as devastating as a car accident, but the double gut punch of both areas of my business going sideways at once definitely jolted my confidence. And I'm convinced that the tip of finding ways to get back on that horse is extremely helpful in moving forward. As Rodney Atkins says in one of my all time favorite country songs, if you're going through hell, Keep on going. Tip number five. Use your power tools to develop a growth mindset. Of all of the aspects of you that you can develop for your art career toolkit, your mindset is the most vital. Specifically, what Carol Dweck calls a growth mindset. This is the belief that you are capable of learning more, becoming more intelligent, and getting better at whatever it is you pursue. That your development as a human is not set in stone, dictated by an IQ test you took in grade school. A growth mindset will help you bounce back from disappointment. A growth mindset will keep you moving forward through tough times. A growth mindset will lead you to make better decisions for your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and financial health. My three power tools for fostering a growth mindset. Are meditation, exercise, and continual learning. The first of my power tools is a regular meditation practice. It helps to switch my thinking from being reactive to being observant. It helps me stay grounded and channel my inner Vulcan. It also helps me with my intuition. It helps me assess opportunities and problems objectively to discern my next right step. Since it does help with my intuition, I'm convinced meditation also helps me generate creative ideas. Now, meditation can take on the form of mindfulness exercises or the transcendental style of meditation in which you practice allowing your thoughts to drift past you, letting go of conscious thought. This is the one I regularly practice, and it's not technically transcendental meditation, which I'm told you have to be taught by a licensed instructor in that form of meditation but it definitely takes the form of learning to clear your mind and let go of conscious thought. For me, the real payoff here are the insights that come up in the spaces in between my thoughts. There are many resources online to help you learn how to meditate, as well as apps you can use on your phone. Two websites I utilize are the Centerpoint Institute and Health Journeys, and you can find the links to both of these in the show notes. My second power tool for a growth mindset is exercise. Now, I am not talking about exercise from a weight loss perspective. I use exercise from a physicality perspective. I use it to help me get comfortable taking up space. For me, taking up space includes being comfortable expressing my preferences, needs, opinions, and asking for what I want. Former National Football League player, now actor and playwright, Bo Eason, talks about owning your own physicality in his book, There's No Plan B for Your A-Game. Be the best in the world at what you do. In addition to giving me strength and stamina, exercise helps me stand in my own sacred space without apologizing for it. And it helps me speak up and take on the tough conversations that we sometimes need to tackle to maintain healthy boundaries. Exercise also helps me clear my mind, release stress, and find the same stillness I seek when meditating. Now the best exercise for you is whatever level of movement you can safely do, meaning within the parameters your doctor approves of, and that you enjoy. The enjoyment part is a huge piece. I'm not advocating running 20,000 miles if you're not into that sort of thing. Even just moving your body to music you love can do wonders. No matter what type of exercise I get in, I definitely carry myself differently after moving my body. My third mindset power tool is a regular practice of learning. By always learning, you're fostering what author Thomas M. Sterner calls the practicing mind. It also happens to be the title of Sterner's book, which is one of the best books I've read as an artist. I believe all artists who have long term success approach making art from the perspective of enjoying the journey. I hear it again and again. When they do their thing, making their art, they get absolutely lost in it. That is the practicing mind. It's truly being in the moment. Learning about all kinds of things related to and outside of your art practice will also help your creativity by giving your mind more information to draw from when making your art. You can learn about developing a growth mindset through books, podcasts, and trainings. I've included a list of the books I recommend for building a growth mindset in the show notes. As many of you know, I favor the audio format so that I can exercise while listening to something interesting. But it doesn't matter which way you consume information. Being a continual learner will work in any format. This wraps up my five tips for bouncing back from disappointments in your art career. I hope you find them helpful in moving through any difficulties on your art journey. They certainly helped me process my recent stumbles and get up and keep moving. I'm also happy to say that it turns out while my conceptual piece wasn't recognized by the judges, it did earn the People's Choice Award from visitors to the gallery who voted on their favorite. And for that, I am grateful. I also want to mention that the gallery manager was extremely helpful in working with me to figure out a solution to the mix-up in the way the art was displayed. Working these things out often comes down to empathy, clear communication, and again, not being afraid to take up your own space. Drop me a line and let me know what you think about this episode. I'd love to hear about how you've bounced back from disappointments and failures. Join me next time for an interview with American figurative artist, Dean Mitchell. And if you'd like a shout out on the show, leave a review on Apple podcasts. It helps others find the show too. Until next time, go make something.